Hello, and welcome to Avenger Bros, your weekly podcast about biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical slash cultural context. I am your co-host, George Benson. I'm your other co-host, Don Shiver. Uh, and uh, how are you doing, Don? I'm okay. I'm a little worried because we're recording this on the day that uh, someone has declared that the rapture is going to happen. So I'm worried that one, I will actually get to listen to this podcast when it comes out on Wednesday because we know what that means. Mm. And I'm also worried that uh, that you know we might not finish this episode before we uh, get swept up. Well, you know, I that's that's something I'm willing to chance. You know, I thought it was funny when we were joking before we started recording that, yeah. like, well, it's a good thing we're talking about the the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, because it'll be a good last message for the world. It will indeed. <laughs> I'm sure we'll, 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 we'll F it up somehow. Oh, most definitely. So, uh, which means we'll be back on next week, regardless of what happens. <laughs> yeah, that is true. <laughs> so, um, how was your Easter? Um, Good turn at the church. You know, our church is so young uh, that we're, we're in that age bracket where Christmas and Easter people go to their parents' churches or visit their family out of town. We're not the place where people come. Like, we don't have uh, people visiting our families. Our families go and visit others uh, in their families. So we usually actually have a lower turnout on Christmas and Easter, which is great. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, yeah. But we had a great time yesterday, and uh, you know, as per usual, I did not present the 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 Chris the yeah the Christmas man the Easter story as uh, as one might expect. So, yeah. Um, what about you? Similar experience. Uh, it was it, like we were talking before we started recording. Um, it was nice. We went to a Saturday night service, so we got to sleep in on Sunday, which threw my day off a little bit. Like it didn't feel quite like Easter because there wasn't, I wasn't sitting like a sardine in a packed church. Oh, right. Right. But, uh, it was great. Um, the, the John, the pastor at the church I attend wasn't, (laughs) he didn't harp on about resurrection, which I personally uh, liked because I've been through and I've worked a number of Easter services. And it's just like, you can only talk about the resurrection so many times in so many different ways that it becomes repetitive after a little while. If you're, you know, if you're Challenge part of- accepted because yeah. that's what I spent the entire Sunday talking about. I, which is why I'm very excited to record and do a postmortem on Easter Sunday. <laughs> That's a, <laughs> that, that feels like there's so many layers there, George. That's a complicated joke so early in the podcast. Thank you. So um, let's just jump on into it. So what what were you what were you talking about this weekend? Well, we kind of started bi- kind of building a little bit on what you were saying about that. There's only so many times that you can talk about the resurrection, right? So I just asked people as we tend to do on Sundays is just, you know, what is, what is your church experience been on Easter? Like coming in today, if you, you know, now obviously people coming into dust maybe are used to the fact that we, we take some different approaches and views, but, um, but going into a church on Easter Sunday, what do you anticipate? And, you know, so much of it was around the resurrection conversation and so much of it was around, you know, just, it being extra full, it being a weird moment of emotion where 
And I thought it was interesting because something that I've critiqued about the church in recent years got brought up by a few different people. And that was uh, that it's the Sunday in which churches really harp on or focus on uh, trying to hook visitors, right? Like that this is a way to, it's like PR work uh, to like grab the visitors, get them to stay, convert them, whatever it might be. And that in some ways Easter becomes more about that than the actual story of uh, the crucifixion resurrection. Yeah. I, um, I remember working in a mega church and everything, the buzz was always different around Christmas and Easter. It was like Christmas was great because, you know, everybody is familiar with the story and the zeitgeist similar with Easter, but it's just, it's a little more celebratory because it's birth. And then, you know, when you're trying to bring all of the people in that, don't normally attend. It's like you have to try and nail them down on a specific reason on why they should come back. You shouldn't use the term nailed down. Uh, That's fine. Well played. That's two complicated jokes. George, you're on a roll. You you have a lot to live up for up to the rest of this episode. I really appreciate that. I just uh, hopefully can, can manage. You're really raising your game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there's a whole lot of uh, jokes that I could probably say, but I just want Oh, boo. Yeah. That one, anyway, yeah, you, yeah, I forced that one. Anyway, all right. So, so one of the things that came out of the conversation was a few different people brought up this idea that if it wasn't for the resurrection, then there is no Christianity, right? And Popular I've heard that said a lot, right? And you know, so I, I kind of pushed back on that a little bit, and I'm like, so, so Judaism doesn't have a resurrection. Uh, Islam doesn't have a, a resurrection. Uh, Hinduism, though, has uh, reincarnation, I believe, but not really resurrection-type language. Um, and so resurrection is not necessary for a religion to carry forward. Um, and so I asked, why is that perception? And so Tiana, one of the people in our congregation, someone I disciple, she's like, well, the passage, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, then all of this I do and teach is in vain. And so I was like, excellent. So what makes the resurrection necessary in Paul's eyes? And it was fascinating because people don't have a real solid answer to that. Like, what what did Paul see about the resurrection that was so necessary that he would imagine that without the resurrection, this was all in vain. And so I don't know, what are your thoughts, George? I mean, what, what makes the resurrection important uh, to Paul's mind? Oh, when it comes to Paul, I have no idea. The only thing I can think of is that to have a vision of somebody whom you knew was dead after the fact in such a tangible way that would that I mean that that for me would be if I were Paul, kind of a big deal. Um, I get it, but there's Lazarus. Yeah, right. So I mean, Lazarus existed, right? So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So sure, but so there, Lazarus, there but Paul wasn't around Lazarus, so we know. Sure, but it also you know Matthew twenty seven, I think it is, talks about how other saints rose up from the grave on that same day, like. It's interesting to me that uh, 
so are you are you suggesting maybe and i i'm not trying to put it all on that because you're you're speaking off the cuff <laughs> appreciate it but are you suggesting that this was just about paul needed uh to be a witness to someone that was physically resurrected um and that guess, it didn't matter that it was jesus like if it was lazarus that would have been enough if it would have been another one of his buddies that would have been cool too i mean it'd hmm. have to be jesus no i don't think it had to i i well okay speaking off the cuff i think that it would yeah I, I I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not a yeah. I don't know. I have no clue. So this is where I think most of us end up. Right? Is that we we kind of don't have a real solid reason why Jesus, particularly Jesus, needed to be resurrected in order for Christianity to make sense well, to be formed. Good. Hold on one second. I just want to. We were talking specific to Paul. I understand. Right? Okay. Yeah. All right. And I'm switching now. Okay. So most people, Paul was used as the uh, reaction to my statement about why Jesus. Fair enough. And so it was suggested that that Corinthians passage. Um, and so most of us really don't have very solid reasoning for the necessity of the resurrection. Right. And I think we've talked about this on podcasts before, right? That yeah. If you believe that what Jesus did on the cross was to overcome sin, well, Jesus and God were forgiving sin before the cross. If you think what Jesus needed to do was to overcome death, and that's what the resurrection was, well, then I point to Lazarus, and on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah are there. Jesus talking to the Sadducees says that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not the dead implying that they're alive in some way. Mm -hmm. And so this picture of resurrection is fascinating to me because we put so much on it, but yet we don't even necessarily understand why we put so much on it. Right. That, um, and so, so what are your thoughts? Why do you think you personally, George, what would you, what would you take a poke at to see, uh, to, to express what it is about the resurrection that is necessary slash important, significant, uh, a must. So I, um, and I'd be curious to hear your kind of personal journey with this after uh, I share mine. So my view on the resurrection sure. has changed significantly over the years. Okay. Um, That's good. Everyone should, and ours <laughs> should continue to evolve as well. Agreed. Um, so it went from, this, oh man, it, it went from a justification for eternal salvation mm -hmm. to uh, empire does not always win. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, I used to all the time, like when I was feeling super stressed or like was trying to figure out what was going on with my work in the church or, you know, even when I would uh, sit with other people that were in my congregation uh, and I didn't know what to say. One of my classic things was to turn to 
Revelation 21 and 22 and talk about how the ending has already been written and we just need to get through this. And part of that is because of the resurrection. And now it has completely switched to like, how can I say this? Uh, While revelation is revelation and most people can't agree on it. It's kind of switched to this idea that, uh, I look at the resurrection and that same wonder and possibility and greatness uh, that I held in revelation 21, 22, I now hold with the resurrection. Like because empire will not prevail. Life still happens after death. Okay. And what I mean by that is so like, you know, looking at even Thomas who wasn't sure if that was actually Jesus or believed that he was risen from the dead, you know, but feel, feel the scars. So I'm not sure if it was necessary. Um, I mean, what is it? Mark uh, ends with Jesus's death and the resurrection was put in later. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's scholarship debates on whether or not that's where the scroll was at and whatever, but I'm, I'm not sure if it was necessary or not. I really don't care if it was necessary or not personally. And so it's just like this idea that, life can prevail no matter what. So what, so what do you feel then that, that communicates? What is the, what is the point of that? Um, I don't know, probably just, I mean, you know, there's a lot of oppression and empire that still is going on today. And uh, the idea that one day it, it, it cannot prevail fully like you can you can use death as a tool to try and stop some people but it ultimately you know won't work death it's like death is no longer used as a controlling device so make that bigger than death what isn't a controlling device um i guess that there's no definitive end i don't know now i'm just spitballing off the cuff so i'm not sure if i'm making sense so like i would say fear is even bigger than death right because fear can paralyze i mean death death yeah. is kind of has you know an end uh like an uh an expiration date right <laughs> fear. Fear. but fear will continue as long as you live right so the empire uh, Roman Empire in this instance used fear. Israel always or often found itself under oppression, whether it be Egypt or Babylon, Assyria, Rome, whatever it might be, they often found themselves in these these moments of oppression. And I think one of the things that's really important is that we have some kind of level of understanding of a theology of exile, uh, exilic thinking. And one of the things that is a huge problem for me when it comes to discussing like an eternal damnation is that God never has an exile where God either one doesn't go with the person or the people and two doesn't have a plan to return them back to uh, fullness. Okay. Yeah. I completely agree. And so with that picture then uh, fear is somewhat mitigated by the people of Israel in exile, right? That yeah. they're in they're in exile, but they know this isn't forever. They know there will be a return. They know that God remains with them. 
but death seems seems like a permanent exile uh, in some way, especially since in Judaism there wasn't a huge amount of belief of a world to come or an afterlife. The Pharisaic movement was still relatively, you know, young in comparison to the age of, of Judaism. And so this idea of there being something beyond this world that even death wasn't permanent, permanent exile was yeah. kind of this interesting idea. So when we attach this, one of the things that I talked to at the church, you know, I asked the church, what's Jesus's full name? And, uh, you know, of course, you know, I'm looking specifically for his last name. His his last name is Christ. Uh, middle name I was found out is H. Um, but that it's Jesus, the Messiah. So this title of Messiah gets lost in Christianity. Yeah. But the messianic idea is really significant for understanding resurrection. Because the Messianic era was imagined that when the Messiah would come, that there would be uh, an era, a Messianic era. Well, if Jesus is killed, how can there be a Messianic era? But this re, uh, this rebirth, this uh, being risen from the dead is a picture of this, uh, this Messianic era. Yeah. Um, and that's really significant for us. So when we read this, the resurrection is is necessary because without resurrection, Jesus's death is in vain. Why is that? Why does Paul imagine Jesus's death is in vain without resurrection? I have no idea. I don't spend enough time in Paul. Well, I'm just thinking even just, he's speaking to an oppressed people. Just think about the biblical story. Like if without the resurrection, without the Messiah, right? And this is important that Jesus is Messiah. If empire kills Messiah, then what's, what, what is the story? That's a good point there. uh, Yeah. There's no reason to think that there would be a new age ushered in. Yeah. That it's done. It's over, right? There is no messianic era. There is nothing like this is all in vain, us fighting against the oppressor, even if if our Messiah can't even fight and win against Rome, we have no chance. I mean, this would have been devastating to imagine. This is why the apostles are hiding, right? This is why like there's fear amongst the disciples and everything because of this perspective that like, Without the Messiah, if, the, if Rome was able to kill Messiah, then we're done. Yeah. So then tell me what is the message of uh, resurrection then for the people? I mean, just going off of that, um, the idea that uh, everything could... This can continue in a bold fashion. The idea of, you know, the gospel being spread of watching out for the oppressed, breaking chains and caring for the widow, the orphan and the foreigner. Like this, it it adds a, it's like, I don't know, it's like a steroid injection to that. So I think ends up happening that is, is really important is this, 
being an oppressed people and imagining that it's the messianic era, it, it kind of emboldens people to say, all right, I can live in such a manner that confronts the machine that is Rome. And I can do it with boldness and I can do it with, uh, you know, unabashedly, unashamedly. I can confront it because the worst they can do to me is kill me. And I'm no longer afraid of that. I no longer have fear of that. And if I take fear from the empire, the empire can't exist without fear. And so this picture ends up becoming that this idea that it empowers the oppressed to say Jesus was one of the greatest threats to the workings of empire by loving his neighbor, by taking care of the poor and the downtrodden, teaching to accept and love the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the uh create safety as we talked about with our soterios episode our salvation episode right yeah. that that jesus's whole ministry was about generating and creating safety and that this messiah demonstrated that the retaliation to empire was not more power and more uh violence and and a stronger army but instead the absolute castration of fear from the grips of empire. And this becomes a really powerful thing. Like, what are you going to do? Like, I always think about that. Like uh, when I give my two weeks notice or something, and I haven't done that in many, many years, but when I was younger, I gave my two weeks notice and I would kind of get this mindset. What are you gonna do? Fire me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. But it's kind of that mindset, right? What are you going to do? You're going to kill me. Well, I already know about the resurrection you can kill me you can kill us but you won't kill us right like that fear that you used to hold over us it no longer scares us now that doesn't mean that there isn't fear still right but that's a really powerful picture of and it's why we see all these martyrs throughout christian history and other religions history as well people that are willing to die for what they believe because they say death no longer holds fear And what Jesus was teaching is that, and your love for one another, which is why Paul, I think, addresses a congregation, you are known for your love for one another, that your love for one another, your compassion for those around you, your continued cultivation of safety is in direct opposition to uh, empire. And because of that, they will try to scare you by threatening death. And so Jesus is saying, you know, the resurrection is this picture of you no longer need to be afraid of death. Yeah. Which is a scary thing for empire. When empire, all of a sudden, the the things that they're oppressing, when people are no longer afraid of it. It's hard to control the crowds. Like, you, yeah, absolutely. Hey, everybody, it's George. Uh, just to interrupt myself really quickly, I want to talk to you about the book giveaway that we're doing at the end of April. Uh, right now, if you head over to our Patreon account, which is Patreon backslash Evandra Bros, um, and sign up, we're going to put all of our patrons' uh, names into a hat and do a draw. 
and send you uh, a book that Baker Publishing was nice enough to send us. Um, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, it's called Moral Leadership for a Divided Age by David Gushy and Colin Holtz. Um, it, it talks about the leadership styles of 14 people and the subtitle is 14 people who dared change the world from uh, Abraham Lincoln to Harriet Tubman. Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, just to name a few. So head on over there, check it out, and uh, like I said, we'll be announcing um, through Patreon who it is that uh, we send the book to. So without further ado, here's Don. Yeah, that's the worst thing for empire. You know, America, just look at our politics, right? Politics today, how many of the politics are beautiful, good, encouraging ideas about the well-being and the safety of others? And then how many of them, even if they begin that way, end up with fear-mongering to say, but the other side wants you dead. The other side doesn't care about you. And so we imagine that the good expressions are not enough that we need fear. And I would argue that in our empire of America, fear is alive and well. Uh, yes, it has been for 20 years at least, like in a different way. I, I you know, I, I, I don't know what necessarily you're pointing back to 20 years ago, particularly, but well, I was saying since nine 11 are, we've created oh, a dial up to 11. Well, I think, it, I think what nine 11 did was give us give our empire a a new cold war yeah right like the cold war was done and they were like i think i think 9-11 was the best thing that could have ever happened for empire in the united states and when i say that i mean empire that i view as wicked and terrible but it's the best thing like i imagine it's some degree there was so much gratitude for that amongst our politicians, not spoken, but, but this idea that we now have a new threat that we can create fear with. It used to be communism. It used to be, you know, Russia or the Soviet union. Uh, it used to be those things or Germany. Right. Yeah. And yeah. we were out of things. There, there was a new, not the action itself, but the fact that there was a new ideology around, uh, Correct. that we could point to and say, this we can all agree that this is bad correct and and it's what we do with things like abortion it's what we do with things uh like uh, racism uh we we tend and racism it doesn't quite fit with the abortion thing I'm, i can't think of something else that's similar to abortion uh but abortion is this great fear-mongering that politicians have done yeah that has coalesced a whole bunch of people using fear as a way to convince people uh to vote a certain way it's powerful fear is super powerful and when jesus removes fear to his followers to the oppressed in rome he he that reason let me tell you that is the reason that constantine becomes christian absolutely it is because once Constantine becomes Christian, he can instill the fear a different way. Yeah. Right? Because he knew I either join them or I'm done by them. Right. Because Christianity was so powerful in this way, in this picture. I, I think it's how Judaism has survived all of these years. Uh, Israel being such a small group of people throughout history yet has continued to survive and survive and survive. And it's because they had this 
expression of faith that did not allow them to fear empire in the way that many other nations have, right? And so this picture is so interesting. And by the way, I'm not speaking to modern Israel or, uh, and some of the stuff that's going on there. And I don't with Palestine. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just talking historically. So, so this picture then becomes even more important. So let me ask you then, George, you and I sitting in places of power and privilege. Yeah. What does the resurrection then mean for you and I? In this light, um, I mean, I, th- I would say recognizing uh, where our seat is at in the table and either stepping away from it in whatever way we can to help bring somebody else in, in place, um, using it to bring uh, notice or change to the oppressed around us. Um, but ultimately, uh, at minimum, at minimum, uh, calling out what isn't um, represented by resurrection. Yeah. So I think everything you said is great. Um, so I'm going to give some concise yeah. way of thinking about that. There was no but in there. I, think. I was expecting a but. <laughs> um, so. I've used before in the imagery when I've taught about Easter or just even, uh, you know, our place in privilege as Christians as being closer to the seat of Caesar than to the seat of Moses. Mm -hmm. Or I've talked about that on this path, this, this road that Jesus carried the cross that we stand on the side of the road that Rome is on. uh, Even though we like to imagine we're on the side that Mary and the apostles are on, but we stand on the side of Rome. And I think the moment we say that I affirm the resurrection, we can only do that if we're willing to cross the street. Yeah. And that's powerful that you and I, if we're going to say we believe in the resurrection, we need to cross the street. And by crossing the street, I mean, we need to recognize there are things that allow us to maintain our well-being, that make our life easy, that make our life good, that make our life affluent, that we need to possibly and probably walk away from or fight against, right? Think about the way that, you know, racism, white supremacy has helped both you and I in life. Oh, in yeah. different situations to no longer uh, accept that as being, well, that's just a price of empire, but to say, I'm, I'm not participating in those things anymore. So I think resurrection is hopeful to the oppressed because they've already been being killed. They've already been fighting for their freedom and their safety. It, resurrection is so much a part of the narrative already of the marginalized and oppressed Resurrection is way more complicated for those of us who have enjoyed the benefits of empire because it says we believe it to be true. And because I believe it to be true, I'm going to cross the street and I'm going to stand with the oppressed and no longer take the benefits of empire. 
because guess what? You're now the enemy. You cross that street, you're the enemy. Um, and this is powerful. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts about that so far? No, I mean, I, I mean, that's, it's nothing really new in, in the scope of the conversations that we have, especially, you know, in these recordings, you can go back and listen to, you know, throw a dart at an episode and we probably talk about this. Exactly. Um, so I, I just, I was just thinking how sad I am that some churches will not teach that, but penal substitution. Yeah. And I was thinking about when you were talking about Constantine, how, how we, how we have changed the fear and how the fear still rules most of Christendom when it should bring freedom. Absolutely. Think, I mean, just think George, how much of Christianity, whether things that you've experienced or just things that you've seen throughout the world are more along the lines of fear mongering than creating and cultivating safety. So I'm not trying to knock any of our listeners that um, still hold this. I, we, we would just disagree. Um, but just this idea that, you know, although resurrection for some, and it used to mean me, that I no longer have to fear hell, if you believe that, but just like that idea can be used and manipulated in ways that you can, like it gives freedom to go around and oppress others. It's like, sure. oh, well, you don't have this? Well, you're not... You know, you're not in the club. We're not even just not in the club. It's just, I mean, think about how our bad theology around this and around resurrection has um, caused horrible discourse in politics and has sponsored so many laws that are oppressive. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know we, we grazed over that a little bit, but, um, oh, man. Christians I just find should never have power. I, I just find that the church has put a whole lot of different conditions in unconditional love. <laughs> yes. Right. Like Christianity, we put the conditions in unconditional love. <laughs> yeah. Be our motto. Well, I mean, it, and it's just, you know, how, oh man. And this is part of a bigger conversation, but it's like, how do we look at resurrection or just even the Bible and think like, you know, uh, this we have a hard enough time trying to figure out whether or not or agree upon whether or not that earth was created in six literal days or not that right. the bigger scopes like you're missing the forest for the trees on this mm -hmm. and we don't know how to have a conversation around it that's healthy yeah and i think that again a lot of this goes to george and we hammer this a lot and maybe eventually listeners will just get bored with us hammering this yeah, that, probably um we have taken the good news and the scriptures and made them strictly spiritual yeah and because of that there is no physical expectation on us and that is the biggest problem. Like I think about the number of times that I hear churches pray for the poor and I'm like, the church is the answer for the poor, right? Like we don't like the idea of praying for the poor though, that has merit and we should do it. Um, 
because it's good to have them in our thoughts, right? But but to not recognize that poverty exists because the church is is selfish, uh, and that the, and when I say church, I mean the people are selfish, um, and we aren't actually caring for the poor in uh, mass. Um, so these are all things that for me, we make this, the resurrection spiritual, we make it about eternal destination. Um, and I would argue it was way more physical to the people. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, just to hop on that, it was also a communal idea and identity too. Whereas we've boiled that down. Like there are still some aspects of Christian or Christendom in the West that are communal. But like you said, because we've focused it more spiritually, we force that to become an an individualized idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And imagine this notion of, you know, giving up your own safety in order to create more safety for others, even unto death. Right. That sounds very, very biblical. Yeah to create safety for others or soterios or salvation for others. You must set aside your own soterios slash safety uh, so that others might experience it. That's, that's, that's the cross. That's the picture. That's, that's this whole thing that to me is so powerful and rich and we reduce it to only being spiritual. And to me, that is heart wrenching. Yeah, and it's uh, man. We could do another episode on this about how the idea <laughs> that being spiritual is intrinsic to Christendom, but it's not the only thing that is important. And we don't know how to like we that that lack of a spiritual communal identity. Well, I mean, I think this goes to, and as you said, we could probably do a whole nother episode, but I think this really goes to uh, Plato, right? Who created this dualistic idea of the flesh and the spirit and them being separate. So the Greek uh, philosophies of flesh and spirit being separate, where Hebrew mind, the flesh and spirit are one. So if I were to go back in time to ancient Israel and say, this is a spiritual thing, they'd be like, yeah, end. Like, because like they would just assume physicality with it as well. Like physical and spiritual were not separable, right? They were inseparable. And so that's a really significant idea. And then we have Greek philosophy, which most of us in the West are much more steeped in, which says, well, it's something's either physical or it's spiritual. And ancient Israel was like, no, it's a both and not an either or. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, this, I feel like that that really ties into the resurrection conversation because it wasn't just, you know, because afterwards the spirit descends. uh, Right. At Pentecost, after Jesus physically ascends, according to the text. Right. And so it's just like that, that, that dichotomy is, um, people just don't know what to do with it in some cases. Sure. Yeah. And the thing that's different is uh, Westerners were not comfortable with that, whereas Easterners were completely comfortable with dichotomy. Yeah. Well, um, 
before we go too far down this rabbit hole, uh, I do want to ask. It's not a rabbit hole. It's the grave of Jesus. That's fair enough. <laughs> but that might have been where the rabbit hid some of the eggs. Probably. That one was a little forced, but that's okay. You know what? So, real, so how has your view of resurrection changed from when you were a PK ending your dad's church to kind of where it is now? Like, I just, I'm curious is that yeah. journey and like what, obviously aside from teaching yourself Greek and Hebrew and, and doing word studies and everything, but like what influences or what, yeah, what happened? Well, I think, I think for the longest time, the resurrection Easter story was just kind of a given, right? Like I didn't, I don't even know that I put much thought in it other than this was what made Jesus different from every other human ever. Um, primarily because I didn't read Matthew 27 and realized that other people also were resurrected on that day. So Jesus wasn't so unique in that manner. Um, but I had this picture of that was what made Jesus unique and therefore uh, demonstrated God in him to a degree that was worshipful. And I don't know that I really questioned it much for a very long time. Right. And I'd say the first thing that kind of drew my interest was uh, N.T. Wright's big book on uh, Jesus and the victory of God. Um, And that started to I found N.T. Wright really interesting and I still do, just not as much as I had in the past. Um, I found N.T. Wright's writings really fascinating because he wanted to put uh, historical context on things. And so this probably was I this was right after the book came out and I don't even know when it was, when that was, but this was actually my first introduction to NT, right? Was that book. That's a big introduction. It was, it was. Uh, and, but I remember just being captivated because I had really wanted and desired to understand context and culture and everything. And so he was feeding me so much. Um, but I think where, where things really began to shift is when I started studying, the idea of messianic ideas within second temple Judaism and what was the hopes, what was the expectations Christianity spouts off all these things as if, uh, you know, all of Judaism was expecting a warrior King to come in. And that's just not true. Um, that isn't the Messiah that everyone was expecting. Um, but Christianity has become so good at espousing that, that uh, all of Christianity is convinced that Jesus was the exact opposite of everything Judaism expected. And that's not, it's not accurate. Um, So all of that stuff kind of rolled in, right. Made me start to be curious about um, why do we say things such as the resurrection was necessary? Um, Especially because Mark doesn't include it in the oldest transcripts. So Mark thinks, and I think that's probably where, the really big moment came for me was when I realized that Mark imagined his gospel was complete and told someone everything they needed to know to understand who Jesus was as Messiah. And he doesn't include the resurrection in the oldest manuscripts. Now, whether or not it was just a a mistake in this transcript or whatever, I don't know, but I found that to be really, really interesting. I started wondering like, do we need to believe in the resurrection? to be saved. And here's some of the problems I have with that. People around Jesus died 
before he was resurrected that believed in him. So what does that mean? Like, was God only able to, to accept them prior to Jesus's? So anyhow, all of that rolled into. Well, I think that's some of the people that he went and saved from the grave or hell. Oh, is that what Sheol. it was? Yeah. yeah. So you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, the epistle of Peter. Um, so I feel like I'm given a really long winded, uninteresting answer. Um, but I, I would fine. say, I would say then the, the next biggest piece that started to get everything to fall into place was the moment that I realized that the Bible was not written to me. The Bible was written to a, an oppressed community of people who were fighting empire. And like I said earlier in this episode, and I've said many other times in other episodes, and I sat way closer to the seat of Caesar than to the seat of Moses. And so much of the critique that I use and have used uh, the Bible for was not a critique of the other, but was a critique of me. And I did it and not even realized it. And now having to own that, that I stood on the other side of the, of the road that Jesus walked up to Golgotha. Um, and that if I want to declare resurrection, I need to, I need to strip off my Roman attire and cross the street and stand with the oppressed and you want to know what? That's scary. That is scary, which is why we have more social media, social justice warriors than we have real, actual social justice activists. Because it's way scary to physically cross the street. Yeah. So, well, um, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. If you have a moment, please head over to wherever you listen to this podcast. Give us a rate and review. Five stars helps us out uh, greatly in uh, getting into people's ears and on charts and honestly, everything below four stars doesn't really matter because of algorithms, which is really sad. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say, also, we reply. If you... If you post on Facebook, we reply. Yes. We interact. So please, like, give feedback on this. Like, what are your thoughts? What are your struggles? Do you like this? Do you agree? Because we'll respond. Yeah. And uh, to the one person I'm still writing a reply to in the email, I'm very sorry. It's taken this long. Uh, we also respond to emails. So we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Avenger Bros. Um, and, you know, we'll be announcing the first week of May who the winner is of our contest on Patreon. And we free book. Some, yeah, free book. Uh, as you know, from the commercial in the center of this episode. Um, also, shoot us an email, evangelbros uh, at gmail.com. And we changed our website up a little bit. Finally going to get that thing up and running. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, I've been your co-host, George. I've been your other co-host, Don. Have a great week, everyone. Merry Easter. <laughs> <laughs>